What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking about deloads. Now, I actually did a deload podcast. It was one of the first episodes that I ever did on the podcast, and this is going to be an update to that episode. So over the last few years, through learning certain things and just being in the industry for longer and absorbing new information, there's gonna be some things that are going to be a little bit different in this episode. So if you have listened to that episode, I still think that there's gonna be a lot of value in this one. Um, but in the same vein, there are a lot of things that I feel very similarly about, or at least very generally speaking about deloads, it's gonna be a very similar conversation. What's gonna be different is some of the methodologies that I'm leaning more heavily on these days based on just things that I've come across through work and absorbing information from other really smart people, et cetera. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into it. So what are the questions that this podcast is gonna to aim to answer? Number one is what is a deload? Number two, why you need to deload slash what will happen if you don't? How often should you deload? Should you pre-plan your deloads or should you only take them when you need them? And how to deload? Um, and so there's gonna be a several different methods on how to deload. I'll talk a little bit about what I'm leaning on a bit more heavily these days, given the context that I work in, but I'll also give a, uh, some other methods to deload because the truth is, I don't wanna jump into it too much. The, tr the truth is there are a lot of logical ways to deload. Um, and as long as you are getting some form of rest and recovery and being mentally and physically refreshed so that you can tackle whatever's next, I'd say your deload falls into the category of, of pretty good and has accomplished what the real goal is of the deload. So what is a deload? Let's go over some key terms, lay some groundwork. A deload, generally speaking, as we'll go over several ways to do this, is a period of time spent away from pursuing your primary goal with the goal of resensitizing to that stimulus and dropping some fatigue so you can come back and work hard on that main goal, right? And so let's say your main goal is hypertrophy. A deload is time spent away from doing hypertrophy so that you can resensitize to hypertrophy and drop some fatigue so that you can come back, work hard and continue to adapt to hypertrophy. And so again, deloads can be used in all different kinds of pursuits, athletic training, powerlifting, hypertrophy, whatever it is. It generally just understanding this idea that we become um, desensitized to the training stimulus over time and that we accumulate fatigue over time and both of these need to come back down so that we can continue pushing those adaptations. What is a mesocycle? A mesocycle just means weeks of consecutive hard training. A, a mesocycle could be synonymous with a training program, right? It's like, uh, you know, four to six weeks of doing the same program week to week, of doing the same days week to week. And again, it doesn't necessarily need to abide by like the weekly schedule, but normally it does. And so I think it's okay to talk about it in that context. A mesocycle is just weeks of consecutive hard training doing the same program. A mesocycle could just easily be synonymous with program, it's fine. Uh, volume. In this podcast, we will be defining volume as number of hard sets in a given time frame. Volume is the word that describes the how much, the how much component of, you know, in this case, hypertrophy, the how much work am I doing? Um, <clears throat> I say sets in a given time frame because you can talk about weekly volume, you could talk about per session volume, you could talk about per mesocycle volume. And so volume just in general is this how much component. Intensity means how close, to, in our case, what we will be referring to intensity as is how close to failure you're going in your sets. And we can think of intensity as the how hard component. Volume is the how much, intensity is the how hard. Now, when, we, <clears throat> when we're moving forward into this podcast, the main point I want you to understand is that training that is hard enough to cause adaptations also brings fatigue. The same hard training that pushes your body to adapt also brings stress and fatigue. Adaptations, and fatigue are two sides of the same coin. And so what I'm saying is if you are 
Like, what are we doing when we're working out? We're sending a stimulus to our body that it needs to get better at something. It needs to adapt to something. We are pushing homeostasis in a direction. We are sending a signal that we need more of something. And so when you're pushing your body to adapt, what is that stimulus? That stimulus is stress. The workout itself is stress. And so the same stress that brings adaptation also brings fatigue. They are two sides of the same coin. And so if you are training hard enough to make gains, then you are training hard enough to need to deload. And in the same vein, we'll talk about some of these discussions of like people who say they never need to deload. What, what's happening in these scenarios where people are like, well, I've never taken a deload and I'm fine. We'll talk about some of those scenarios. So why you need to deload slash what will happen if you don't. I want you guys to think of deloads as an extrapolation of rest days, but over a longer scale. Like we all kind of understand that training seven days a week straight isn't going to give you your best gains. Like you rest between sessions so that you can recover enough to perform well again in your next session. I mean, that's why you rest, right? You rest so that you can recover from the previous workout so that you can perform in your next workout. You deload in exactly the same vein. You deload so that you can recover enough to perform well in your next mesocycle. So you deload to recover from your previous mesocycle so that you can perform in your next mesocycle. It's the same, the analogy I really love to give is like weekends versus vacations. And so if we look at the work week, like people can work five days straight, Monday through Friday, but by Friday we need, let's say whatever, let's stick with me here. We need two days off to buy you enough rest and recovery so that you can work another five days. And so we work five days, we build up a little bit of fatigue and we need these two days off to kind of clear that fatigue so that we can come back on Monday and work hard again. Like if aliens came down from planet earth and wanted to make the most productive human society, they would not make us work 24 seven. Like the, the weekends don't exist because, and I'm going on a small tangent, but the weekends don't exist because capitalism cares about your well-being. Like the weekends exist because we will actually be more productive if we have two days off than if we don't. Product, I mean, I think that the world is kind of booming with this understanding of, you know, if, if people work in big corporations of like giving your, um, you know, more freedom, more flexibility to your uh, employees because they will end up doing better work, um, not only when they do it on their own, their own terms, but when they actually have more days off, more vacation days, whatever. You will find that people's overall productivity goes up. And so this idea of, if you want the best of something or the best adaptations of something, you're not doing it with the pedal down 24 seven. I think we all understand that. So if we look at the week and the week to weekend uh, uh, analogy, we have five days of work and two days of rest. And that is our way to make our weekly schedule the most productive. However, there's still a reason that like once or twice a year, you need a full week off. And so while weekends will suffice to clean the slate to some degree from a week of work, it still builds up over time. Like the weekend doesn't 100% clean the slate. It just gets you refreshed enough to work again from Monday to Friday. But at some point we need a longer break, right? There, what would you guys, like if I asked somebody who worked and I'm like, hey, if you just never had week uh, a vacation, would you be fine? No, the weekends wouldn't cut it. At some point you need a bigger step back. It's like the weekend buys you enough rest and recovery to perform well in your job for another five days. But a vacation or two vacations a year keeps you productive all year round. And so this deload I want you to think of is an extrapolation of a rest day. It's like the, it is what the vacation is to the, to the weekend. It is a slightly longer break to, to buy you, you know, an ability to push hard afterwards for a longer period of time. Um, and so 
again, you deload so that you can recover enough from your previous mesocycle so you can perform well in your next mesocycle. Um, and you know, we all we all recognize the need for rest, but the difference is we don't realize that rest days, just like the weekend, don't clean the slate. Like if I told you you were never gonna have a vacation ever again, you would you would be like, well, I need that. I need that for my overall productivity and happiness. And so in the same vein, rest days are really nice, but rest days don't actually clean the slate. And so the analogy that I like to give for this is, imagine you had a glass of water, uh, you know, for everyone who's up on YouTube, I'm holding up a glass of water here. And the glass of water is your ability to handle stress or how much stress you're carrying at any given point. And all the liquid or all the water that's going into it is stress. And if we can imagine, I think it's helpful for people to, to analogize. Can you, is that a verb? Can I verb analogy here? But to think of all of your stress that you have in your life going into the same glass of water, into the same bucket. And so work. let's say every time you work out, that is a stressor. You're gonna pour a little bit of water into the cup. Every time you take a rest day, you pour a little water out of the cup, right? Because you de-stress a little bit. But after every week of training where you have work days, you know, working out days and rest days, you have a net increase of water each week. And so, yes, the rest days are important because they do pour out some of that stress. They do help you rest and recover enough to have another productive week. But the truth is, at the end of every week, you have not completely cleaned the slate. And so from week to week to week to week of hard training, the water does start to creep up. And so at some point, we need a larger, you know, quote, pouring out of the water so that we can clean the slate and start that accumulation of stress again. And that is the deload, let's say. The deload is that like dumping out of all of the water so that you can start again. And so let's look at some scenarios of like, you know, if you don't deload, right? People are like, well, what if I don't deload? Or people claim to have never deloaded. And so a couple of options. If you... <clears throat> There's only really two options. Let's say you don't deload. Then there are only two options. The option one is that you are actually training hard enough to cause adaptations and you don't take deloads. Option two is you aren't really training hard enough to, to, to cause adaptations and you don't take deloads. And let's look at those two separately. Option one is the person who's training hard, hard enough to cause adaptations and is not taking deload. Now in that scenario, one of two things is gonna happen. One, if you don't take the deload, the deload takes you. Like whether or not you actively take a, like you give yourself permission to take a, a, a scripted deload, the deload will take you. you. You will end up overreaching, potentially overtraining. We can use we can use the term overreaching as a term that's like a, of a lesser um, magnitude to overtraining. It's like what happens, let's say, before you get to a full-blown overtraining state. Um, if you don't deload, the deload takes you. No matter what, your body will force you to deload. Uh, some of the things that might happen is you might get sick, you might get injured, you start to have real sleep disruption, you have real performance decrement. Uh, we can see hormonal disruption, you know, decrease in some of those anabolic hormones, testosterone, increase in some of those stress hormones like cortisol. Basically, you end up feeling like shit and you're unable to progress and eventually something will happen where the deload takes you and you are forced to take time out of the gym. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but if you if you train hard, hard enough to make gains, and you never take a break ever, the break will take you. I mean, you will get hurt or sick or um, you know, end up just in a really feeling like shit place where you end up not wanting to train and you take days, days off. Um, the deload will take you. It's not like a, it's not something that, it's like some fancy thing that we're trying to hack. Like at some point you cannot progress 
with any adaptation forever without taking a step back. Um, the second option is let's say you are training hard enough to cause uh, adaptations, but you still stand by the claim that you don't deload. My guess is, my guess is actually that you do deload, you just do it without you without knowing it. And so let's say you train four days a week and you're like, you know, I train hard, I'm making gains and I never take prescribed deloads. The truth is my guess is either number one is gonna happen where yes, you can do that for a, a bit of time before the deload takes you or you're taking deloads without knowing it, which is like maybe you go away for a long weekend and you have a, a stretch of five days where you don't train, um, you know, or you just happen to miss a workout, which gives you like four or five days off straight consecutive days, or you just go on like a mini vacation. You're not realizing that these mini vacations are deloads. And so those are the two options. If you are training hard enough to cause adaptations and you're not taking deloads, my guess is that either the deload is going to take you in this, in the form of an injury or you getting sick or you feeling like shit or having hormonal disruption or sleep disruption or you know irritability, low motivation to train, all of this stuff. Or you take deloads without knowing it, right? And you're you know taking a long weekend or you miss a workout here or there and you're having these stretches of consecutive days off and you're not really realizing that that actually is deloading. Option two is the person who's not really training hard enough to see gains anyway and doesn't deload. Now in this option, everything's fine because you don't probably need to deload if you're not actually training hard enough to make gains. Now, what does this scenario usually look like? It's one of two things. Either the person is training relatively hard, but they're only training two or three days a week. If you're only training two or three days a week and you have five, you know, four or five rest days, chances are, if we take that glass of water analogy, the water that goes in gets dumped out basically every week. And that is to say that that person's also not going to make gains for the long term. Can you make gains training three days a week? Absolutely. At some point, might you need more to continue progressing? Absolutely. Um, and so this scenario of like, well, you know, I'm not deloading and I'm fine. Maybe you are only training two or three days a week and that makes sense. Because what happens is if <clears throat> maybe you, let's say you could still make, let's say someone hears that and they're like, no, actually, I think you can absolutely make gains at three days a week training. Okay, fine. I think you can too. But if you combine that scenario of, well, I'm only training three days, I have four rest days a week. If you combine that with the fact that if you ever miss one of those workouts, maybe you have like five days off. If you miss the, if you miss your, if you work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you miss your Friday workout and you don't train from Wednesday until the following Monday, that's a deload. And so when you have people who train uh, five days a week, uh, then, or three, sorry, three days a week, and they miss a workout or you have a long weekend or whatever, uh, those people will end up deloading without knowing it again, right? Cool. Anything else that? Yeah, listen, can you make can you make progress training three days a week? Absolutely. Um, are you going to need deloads ever if you like in in a in a in a vacuum? If somebody trains three days a week hard, are they going to need to deload at some point? The answer is yes, totally. But if you take the average person who is going to occasionally miss a workout or occasionally go away for a long weekend, that person might end up not actually needing to take prescribed deloads because at the end of the day they're going to be fine with just the occasional like life deload. So the question, the next question we want to talk about is how often should you deload? Um, and the answer is you should deload when the glass is full. Like remember that glass of water, it's, it's, it's carrying all your stress. And when do you need to pour out that glass of water? Well, shit, man, before it gets really full or overflows. And what I want you guys to think about is take this glass of water. That glass of water is carrying all the stress that you have. And... Training stress is absolutely the one that we are focused on today because we are talking about needing a deload from training. However, that glass of water, it's not empty to begin with. 
if we look at all the stress that you might be carrying in your life, it's not empty to begin with. And so the, the question of how often should you deload, the answer is when that glass is full, which means if we take into account all the other life stressors like work stress, family stress, you know, lack of sleep, lack of calories, other life stressors, yes, training stress. Maybe you're you're chronically low on carbohydrate and the type of training you're doing is also kind of compounding uh, into a high stress environment. Like this glass is not starting out empty. And so when we talk about how often should you deload, it is contextual, right? Somebody might be, somebody who's, going through a divorce and moving, um, you know, and isn't sleeping well and is having sporadically super low calorie days. And like that person's glass of water is like 80% full right out of the gate. Like we can't shovel as much training into that glass as somebody else who's, you know, 25 year old kid with no kids, uh, you know, lives, eats and breathes training. Like that person might be able to survive longer, let's say. <coughs> now the goal also isn't to train for as long, like, the goal isn't to train for as like can, there's no there's no like uh, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow of like oh I trained more weeks in a row than you because we can also look at well how much training were you doing in that week uh, and so we'll talk about that a little bit more so all of that stuff goes in the same glass and just remember that it's usually not empty to begin with and so when we're looking at the frequency in which people need to deload or kind of more appropriately said how much training somebody can shovel into the amount of stress they're already carrying, it's gonna be different from person to person and it's also gonna matter what type of training that we are putting into that glass, let's say. Um, and so it, it depends how much training you're doing, how hard training you're doing and how much life stress you're carrying from just your normal lifestyle and your recovery factors. And so if someone's like, hey, how often should you deload? I wanna look at how much training they're already doing how hard their training is doing because it's not enough to just look at the program and be like, oh, this is a hard program. Like most programs are gonna come down to how hard you're working in them, right? You could look at a program and, you know, two people could do it and one person could think it'd be, it's easy and one person could think it's hell if they are performing it with different levels of effort. So if someone asks how often you should deload, it usually will depend on how much training you're doing, how hard you're training, how much life stress you're carrying and what your other recovery factors are like. Let's say like sleep hygiene and calorie deficit, et cetera. However, that's not super helpful. I think people are looking for a little bit more specific direction here. And so what that usually comes out to, if somebody is training three to five times a week with enough volume and intensity to see progress, and so someone's training three to five times a week, and we are you know, within the context of somebody who's training hard enough to need deloads, it's something like every four to eight weeks. Somewhere in the four to eight week mark, that stress glass of water is going to overflow. Um, and whether it's on the shorter side of four weeks or on the longer side of eight weeks, again, it's gonna depend on the training intensity, the frequency, the total volume, what your other recovery factors are like, what your lifestyle factors are like. I, I see a lot of variability within clients. Um, you know, You know, some clients who will experience sleep disruption and irritability on week three and then some that never experience that based on their personal lifestyle, their recovery, some of the other physiological factors. Are they in a calorie deficit? You know, do they take care of their, their nutrition quality? Are they getting enough micronutrients? Do they drink a lot of alcohol? There's a lot of these things that go into, you know, how, how long can I do the same thing before that stress glass kind of overflows? Um, again, usually every four to eight weeks, depending on training intensity, frequency, volume, and what your other recovery and lifestyle factors are like. Anything else on that? Um, you know, 
just kind of thinking of just think, thinking of one-on-one clients that I've worked with over the years, if you're carrying a lot of stress from life, you're in a deficit, your nutrition quality isn't great, you 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 know, you don't get a lot of good micronutrients, you know, your overall quality of your nutrition not leaning heavily on on whole minimally processed diet like I doubt you're going to be able to string together. I doubt you're going to be able to fit a lot of training into your glass of water, right? And so, you know, does that mean that that client can only train two weeks and then needs a deload? No, but that means that that client might not be training four or five times a week. They might be training two or three times a week. And then maybe we can string together four to six, four to eight weeks of the same program. Like just because you're carrying a lot of life stress doesn't mean we're going to deload you know, after a week or two, right? We're not gonna shove a ton of hard training into a week or two. We might say, okay, you're in a high stress state already. We might shove less training into your onto your plate, but be able to do that for slightly longer. Next question we wanna answer is, should you pre-plan your deloads or take them only when you need them? It's an interesting discussion. Um, and I'll give you kind of the both sides of the coin here and then kind of how I think of things in terms of the clients, the clientele that I work with. So let's say pre-planning your deload would simply be saying, hey, after five weeks, I deload on week six. And that's just what I do. When week six rolls around, regardless of how I'm feeling, I'm gonna take a deload. Taking them when needed, which we're gonna use the term auto-regulate, which just means kind of deciding, not randomly on the fly, but being a little bit more flexible with that plan, might mean waiting for some of those fatigue symptoms, which might be sleep disruption, irritability, maybe overlapping soreness, maybe joint pain, low motivation to train, waiting for some of those symptoms to creep up, or just waiting for life to throw you some sort of convenient time off. And so you might say, hey, I'm just gonna kind of go with the flow, I'm gonna train, I'm gonna train, I'm gonna train until, you know, either I start to kind of feel like shit, or life throws me a long weekend or a small vacation or something like that. And so I think there are pros and cons to both of these approaches. Um, if you pre-plan your deload, so if you say, hey, on week six, I'm taking a deload, that's it. This is kind of the way my brain thinks of this. If you pre-plan your deloads, technically what you are doing is you are preventing the worst outcome. The worst outcome is training beyond the point in which you should have deloaded because you know nobody wants to feel like shit and have low, mo- low motivation to train or get sick or get injured or, you know, getting to a point where this isn't fun anymore. That's the worst outcome. So if you pre-plan the deload and and you you are preventing that worst outcome of going overboard and training for too many weeks and getting sick or injured or low motivation to train or irritable or having some hormonal disruption, whatever things that could happen, you are preventing those outcomes. But you might also, just from a philosophical argument perspective, you might also be preventing the best outcome where the best outcome is like, what if I deload on week six? But maybe on week six, I'm actually feeling okay and I could keep training and I could have another couple of weeks of hard training. That is technically true. Um, I think that that is true, but we'll talk about how to kind of amend some of that. But you know, even in that scenario, if you look at it over the course of a year and you're like, oh, I missed a week or two of training in this mesocycle and maybe in that mesocycle over there, it's really gonna come down to very little difference. And, we'll, and again, I'll give you kind of like my whole spiel afterwards. Um, and if we look at the auto-regulating where you're just taking it when it's needed, when you if you just take deloads when you need them, you are allowing for the best outcome, right? In the same vein where if you pre-plan them, you, you can't get the best outcome, but if you auto-regulate them, you can. Because if you get to week six and you are using a more auto-regulatory technique, you can say, you know what, I'm gonna keep training. I have another couple, week, and I have another week or two of really hard training. So that opens the door for the best outcome for you to get the most stimulative training before needing a deload. However, you also leave the door open for the worst outcome. If you are taking an auto-regulatory technique where you're taking a deload just when you feel you need one, 
you leave the door open for you to be wrong and for you to kind of fuck this up and to get to a point where you, for you, where you don't feel good and you're irritable and you're having sleep disruption, you know, and you're, you know, stressed and fatigued and sore and maybe sick and maybe joint pain. And so you're leaving the door open for the worst outcomes. And so my take after years of coaching hundreds of different kinds of people who have different kinds of mentalities, who have different goals and different stages of life, I think most non-professional fitness folk who are trying to make gains, training, you know, three to five times a week, hard enough to make gains, I think most people should not be trying to wait until they feel like shit to deload. Um, and maybe I'm making that out to be worse than it is, but I have seen too many people, too many people think that they can keep training and then either they accomplish the, ex the extra week or two that they wanted to accomplish, but at the end of that, they feel like such shit. They have such low motivation to train. They're starting to get intense sleep disruption. They're irritable. They have little little aches and pains. Like To me, I just don't think non-professional fitness folk who are still trying to make gains should be waiting until they, they get some of these negative symptoms to deload. We are terrible at both assessing our biofeedback and giving ourselves some slack. Like most people aren't in tune enough with their body to realize when they need to deload. You know, most people, and, and in that same vein, most people don't want to give ourselves any slack. We, we're really hard on ourselves. And so this idea of taking a break, a lot of people think that there's something, you know, you're like bitching out in some way. And so most people don't want to admit that they feel like shit. People end up feeling guilty or weak that they like, quote, need a break. You know, it's better to pre-plan it in so it's baked into your plan. It's like, I think of this question of auto-regulating or pre-planning very similarly to diet breaking during a calorie deficit. You know, um, should you pre-plan your diet break or should you take one only when you need one? And I think if you are of the opinion that you're gonna take, and it's not exactly the same, but I think we can at least look at it in the same context. Should you take a diet break? Should you wait for yourself to feel like such shit and then in your calorie deficit where you're super hungry and super irritable and super pissed off and super tired, should you wait for that moment to be like, you know what? Maybe I'll take a breather. Maybe, maybe, maybe some people are going to do really great. They're very in tune with their biofeedback. They know when they're starting to not feel good and they can take a step back and increase calories and they're going to do just fine. I have found that it's nice to have that, that break, we will call it, on the calendar so that you know it's coming. People are more likely to put forth effort knowing when, when there is a break on the schedule. Um, two analogies that make sense to me is like if I was in school as a kid, and I didn't know when class was over, I probably would be kind of less motivated to like really dig in and pay attention. But if I know, hey, I'm in here for 60 minutes, I gotta be you know, paying attention for this because at, at three o'clock on the dot, this is over, I'm more likely to give good effort knowing when this is over. Another analogy is like if you're running a marathon, if you're running a marathon, the night before, the month before, whatever, I've never run a marathon, I don't know how intensely somebody does this, but this, this logically makes sense in my brain, where if you're running a marathon, you probably wanna look up where the water stops are. You probably wanna map out where you're gonna take a break, right? And, and we'll talk about combining these strategies. Maybe when you're in that marathon, you know, hey, I'm supposed to take a break after mile 12, but when you get to mile 12, maybe you feel great and you keep going. Now, I, I can, I'm, I'm cool with kind of an integration, a combination of these strategies, but you still are probably going to do some form of pre-planning. And so, listen, <laughs> Personally, I much prefer pre-planning deloads for my online clients and my group. You know, going a week or two beyond when you should deload because you really want to eke out every inch of gains and like, you know, you you tell yourself, nah, bro, I'm fine. I'm just a little tired. That's cool. Like, I get it. You want to eke out every inch of gains. But to me, 
the risk of pushing beyond and getting rocked by feeling like shit is of a greater magnitude of importance to me than missing maybe one potentially stimulative week of training because you deloaded a week early. And so the the downside of the negative to me beats the upside of the positive. And so I much prefer with almost everybody, but I will say that like there is some individual variance for sure. Um, but pre-planning your deload is going to, for most people, give you a clear marker on the calendar of when there is to take a break. And it's gonna make most people uh, more comfortable with working harder and harder and harder each week, knowing that there's some sort of culmination to this program on the schedule where you take a step back. Um, and again, I, I think we're just not really great at assessing our biofeedback. Bio I'll have clients who are like, they're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm waking up at two or three in the morning most nights, like wide awake. And I choose this sleep disruption thing because for me, this is the fatigue uh, symptom that I feel the most tangibly. I get in intense sleep disruptions when I am in a high stress state. And I'll have clients who are like, you know, I'm waking up at one o'clock and three o'clock, or I'm waking up at four o'clock when normally my alarm doesn't go off till eight o'clock and I'm I'm awake and I'm 100% alert. That is not normal. That is your cortisol being, let's say, dysregulated. That is a sign of you having chronically high stress, which the training stress is one of those inputs, right? And I'll have clients who are like, no, 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 it's just, you know, I'm just, I didn't have a good night's sleep, you know, you know, I've been watching TV before I go, and, and they'll make excuses for themselves because they don't want to stop training because they feel like they're weak or they can't handle it. In a sense, I, I hate that scenario because I know I know that it's very likely that after if we're at like three, if we're at like weeks four to six and this is starting to happen, it's very likely a deload is 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 going to help that. Um, I don't want clients to have five nights of bad sleep before they realize you know it's it's probably time to deload now. Yeah, no shit. You know we probably should have just pre-planned a deload. And when it comes to pre-planning, the more times you pre-plan, like you don't always have to pre-plan it the same amount of time. And so if you pre-planned a, de a deload for week five. And so what that means is you train, let's say four weeks, and then you deload on that fifth week. And when you do that, you get to that fourth week and you realize, you know what? I'm totally fine. I'm gonna take the deload now, but maybe I'll write myself a five-week mesocycle, next mesocycle. And so you don't, you can you can adapt, you know? You can take your pre-planned deload and you can adapt the plan later. If you had a four-week mesocycle and you realize, you know, after four weeks, in this current state of calories and recovery, in this current physiological state, I could probably survive another week or two. Yes, you could keep going. I, I, I'm okay with that. But you could also take your pre-planned deload and adjust the plan going forward. You're not like locked into a certain ratio of when to deload forever, right? And just remember, if you're not training hard enough to make gains, if you're not if you're not listening to this and you're like really pursuing hypertrophy, or you're training two to three days a week, or you're just kind of winging it, or you're just kind of sandbagging it, you can probably go a lot longer and maybe never take a plan deload and just kind of let life throw you a long weekend or vacation here or there. This is, again, in the context of probably training four to five, you know, three, at least three to five times hard. Cool. I also think that there's a decision fatigue here. I think paying such close attention to your biofeedback isn't something that I think the average person really needs to focus on a ton. Um, you know, it allows you to, pre-planning allows you to offload some of that mental energy that's spent worrying of, hmm, should I deload this week? Hmm, should I deload this week? There's a little bit less decision fatigue for the average person who already isn't that great at assessing biofeedback um, and also probably isn't great at like deciding to give them a break. Like if you pre-plan the deload, then the decision is already made that you're gonna take a break. And so when that time comes, you're just 
adhering to the plan when you take a break versus like you deciding, it feels almost like quitting. I don't know if sometimes I'll have clients who are not thrilled with themselves when they have made the decision that it's time to deload because they can't go any further, et cetera. It's kind of nice when taking the break is baked into the plan already. Okay, anything else on that? I don't want to beat that to death. Um, yeah, last thing I'll say on this, just because you pre-plan doesn't mean you can't assess how things go and change your pre-planning strategy over time. It also doesn't mean you can't change your strategy or your, you can't be flexible within, the, within that mesocycle. And so yes, if you pre-plan a deload, you get to a point where you're supposed to deload and you're like, you know what? I'm going to take another two weeks of training because I think I can or another week. I think that's totally fine. If you want to marry these two things together, I think that that's great. I, I, I think that that is for the slightly more advanced person who's really in tune with their biofeedback and knows what to look for in themselves. But I think that that strategy is totally fine. If, you, you know, if you're writing your own programming or you're working together with a one-on-one -on -one coach and you can communicate to them, hey, what, let's see, let's go for it. Let's go for another week. I, I feel okay. Um, I think that that's totally fine. All right, the last portion of this podcast, before we do a quick summary, is gonna be how to deload. And let me see, I made some notes on this one for sure. Um, what I wanna say before we start is, if your deload accomplishes the goal of you taking a step back from from really hard training, so doing something that that drops some sort of fatigue and stress, and also drops some psychological fatigue, because I'll, I'll, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about, um, I, I guess I didn't make this super clear in this w why you need to deload or what's gonna happen if you don't. But the big thing that, we'll, that we look for as a physiological sign, like a really objective sign that you need to deload is a performance decrement. And so if you keep training with progressive overload, trying to overload every week, eventually you won't be able to do that. And it's almost like in that moment where you're unable to progress or you actually start to regress, that we know for sure that you need to deload. And the reason I actually didn't harp on that so much in this discussion of what will happen if you don't, is anybody who's been training long enough, who's been in this game for a long time, and I had a good a good discussion with Brian Borstein on my podcast about this. Anybody who's been training long enough and hard enough for a long time, they kind of, I've, I've personally never had a moment where I've had a performance decrement. I have never taken a deload because I saw my performance start to regress. The reason is before that happens, you will have sleep disruption. You will have low motivation to train. You will have psychological fatigue. You will have some joint pain. You'll you, Maybe you get sick or you're irritable or you're waking up in the middle of the night. You have your cortisol's jacked up. So a lot of these other symptoms are actually going to happen before you have a performance regression. However, I do need to make it clear that that is a real big physiological sign that you need to deload is if you are unable to not only match or beat what you did in previous weeks, but if you start to see a enough of a regression that can't be explained by acute factors. You know, if you don't sleep well one night and you come in and you don't crush your workout, that's not, okay, I need a deload. Um, you know, if you have consecutive workouts where there is a tangible regression in your performance, that's a pretty good sign to at least consider deloading. But the irony of that is, while that is such a big one, it is preceded by so many of these other psychological uh, symptoms, let's say. Um, psychological, somewhat born out of the physiology, so a low motivation to train does have physiological components of that. Sleep disruption, irritability, joint pain, all this stuff. Um, and so when we look at how to deload, if your method of deload gives you an opportunity to drop physiological stress and gets you psychologically feeling like you're ready to tackle whatever's next, 
I will generally support that method, whatever that means for you. Now we're gonna go over, I think four methods here, um, four different ways to deload. I'll talk about some pros and cons, but man, you know, if you choose one of these over the other because you feel that it gives you the best balance of psychological of a psychological break from training and a physiological drop of fatigue, I really support that. And there are gonna be some people who need, you know, to take more care of that drop of psychological fatigue. Some people need to take more care of that physiological fatigue, you know, um, I guess I'll put, I'll give a little bit more context when we jump into the methods here. So the first method that we're going to talk about is a full week off an entire week of zero training, zero going to the gym. And I'm going to start with this one mostly because it's, it's probably the most controversial. Um, but also in the same vein, in my opinion, massively underrated. Now underrated doesn't necessarily mean best. It just means underrated. Um, so a full week off would be method. Number one, I would say, these some thoughts on taking a full week off. One is you actually don't lose muscle tissue. You are not going to lose muscle tissue in one week off. Even in a deficit, I'd say you wouldn't lose any meaningful muscle tissue, um, but certainly not in maintenance and, and absolutely not in a surplus. And so this idea of taking a week off, if someone's like, oh, you're gonna lose muscle, you won't actually lose muscle tissue. Um, you know, I have this, I just got a new MacBook Pro and I have my messages off, but for some reason the notifications pop up which is frustrating. And so let me just really quick see if I can turn those off. Mm-hmm. We're gonna turn those off, thank you. All right, sorry about that guys. And okay, so full week off, you don't lose muscle tissue, you absolutely don't. Now you might lose some of what's called sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. So you might lose some sarcoplasm or glycogen. Sarcoplasm, just kind of TL, TLDR would be things in the muscle cell, the fluid in the muscle cell. You know, we can lump in glycogen and the water that comes with that. And so you might actually look a little bit smaller if you take a week off. You might look what we would call in the industry, let's say flat, but you are not actually losing muscle tissue. And that is the most, like, you know, the fluctuation of, I literally just turned off the notifications. How did that happen? Um, the fluctuation of sarcoplasm and glycogen isn't something that I would think about um, really ever. I mean, it's not just not something that I would think about as a negative here. If you lose a little bit of sarcoplasm, you lose a little bit of glycogen, you look a little bit flat, that comes back with like two days of training. And so I wouldn't see that as like, well, I don't wanna do this because I'm gonna lose glycogen. I don't know if that's such a big deal. Now, maybe you might lose some small neurological adaptations. And so taking a... Yeah, not not to go too deep into that, but like neurological adaptations, meaning the skill component of lifting, some of the technique demands, some of the just natural coordination of certain movements. And so if you are in a highly technical sport, like Olympic weightlifting perhaps, or like golf or tennis, where like your technique is super, super, even powerlifting where it powerlifting, squat bench and deadlift are not nearly as technical as like a snatch or a clean or striking a tennis ball or whatever, but I still think that it's a little bit more technical um, than most hypertrophy training. Like it really doesn't matter for hypertrophy training if you lose a little bit of neurological adaptations. And so if you're an Olympic weightlifter or even a powerlifter or an athlete, maybe you don't take an entire week off of your sport and maybe you don't choose this one or maybe these neurological adaptations would just be even a little bit more of a downside. But for the average lifter, myself included, who's most, the most technical lift that we do is like a barbell back squat. And I don't think if you take a week off, you get under the bar and all of a sudden you don't really remember how to do a barbell back squat. But that would be one small negative here is like maybe you lose a small amount of neurological adaptations. Maybe you lose some sarcoplasm, some glycogen. But if you're at maintenance, again, the research is pretty clear. One week isn't gonna cause muscle loss. And so the big pros that I would say for a full week off is that it is, in my opinion, so freaking underrated for dropping psychological fatigue. 
Like just getting out of the gym and replacing that workout time with like a walk outside or listening to a podcast or honestly, even if you're like getting extra work done. For me, you know, if I deload and I decide to take at least some of the week off and I get more work done, that is an enjoyable experience for me. That is not like working extra for me is not like this adding of stress. To me, it's decreasing stress because I'm getting stuff done that I wanted to get done. And so the pros are for sure psychological fatigue. Um, time for, you know, it gives you time for other parasympathetic, parasympathetic activities, going for a walk outside, going for a hike. I mean, if everybody took the time that they would have been in the gym and they go for a walk in nature, I would take that for 95% of our population. I would love that. That would be an amazing thing for more people to get outside, sun on their skin, get out in nature. I would love that trade for 99% of my clients. The cons, uh, maybe if you're in a deficit and you're super, super worried about losing muscle, like, yes, we just said that seven days isn't enough to lose muscle, but maybe if you're in a deficit, you know, you're starting to make an argument that there's a small downside there. And maybe, again, the neurological adaptations, um, it's tricky. I think that those only matter if you are super, super hell-bent on getting optimal gains. And to me, the only people who really fall under that category are like pro bodybuilders, let's say. Like people who are, you know, in this for the inches. Um, they're, they're playing this this long game of like, of, of grams of muscle over time are meaningful. Most of us, even myself, who has ambitions of looking really good and objectively wants to be on the, you know, higher end of physiques. Like, even for me, I, I don't look at this as any downside for me. But it, it, it technically does exist, and, and, and it depends on how you feel about that stuff, and I will respect that. Um, now, what I would say is there is a practical downside of taking a full week off the gym that we will reference pretty soon. But missing, you know, if you take a full week off the gym, you miss out on the opportunity to do an intro week. And we're gonna talk about what an intro week is in a bit, but there might be practical benefits of doing something in your deload that actually can make the greater, the, the entirety of your programming more enjoyable. Uh, and so a quick summary on this, a week off can be, can be really great if you're really fatigued and really mentally exhausted from being even in the gym. Or it can be paired really well with vacation and other life events. I wouldn't worry too much about losing muscle, especially at maintenance calories. And so a week, a entire week off, I think should be something more people consider, um, especially because they would probably replace that with more parasympathetic activities or should probably replace that with other parasympathetic sympathetic activities that maybe they don't have time for normally. Um, getting out of the gym can be such a nice breath of fresh air. A lot of people, when, when they are looking at this option, they say things like, you know, I don't wanna lose my routine of going into the gym. You know, what I would just say to that is maybe that is how you really feel, but maybe that is how you really feel. But I have a sneaky suspicion that the people who say they don't really want to lose the routine of going to the gym are actually just dead ass afraid of losing muscle or they're afraid of losing progress. They're afraid of not going because they think something bad is going to happen. So if you heard that and you're like, you know, but I really like my routine. I don't want to lose my routine. Just just interrogate that feeling for me. Just look inward and say, you know, do I really, is this really about routine or am I thinking that something bad is gonna happen? Because if you're thinking something bad is gonna happen, I just wanna tell you it won't. Okay, option two. Ooh, we have five different, oh my God, we have a lot of different, uh, we have a lot of different methods of deloading here. We're already on 45 minutes. So, all right, next one is a full deload. So a real like, what you most likely have heard of as a deload. We're gonna call this a full week of deload training. 
So a full week of deload training can either be on the back end of your program with the exercises you've been doing or on the front end of your program with the new exercises that you will do in your next program. Now, what is generally the benefit of doing a full deload week? Now, let's let's talk about what that deload week would, would look like in terms of how hard and how much training you would do because a, a deload workout is probably going to, in my opinion, gonna look something like a big drop in volume, so a lot less sets, but the sets you do will be just hard enough to send some form of a muscle building stimulus. Some They will be hard enough to keep some form of neurological adaptations. And so normally what I will use as a, listen, there are a million ways. I know Renaissance Periodization has a method that they like that makes a ton of logical sense. I love Dr. Mike. I love, you know, I've learned a lot from their style of deloading. Um, and there's a, so there's a lot of way to do this. This is just the way I would prescribe it. And so I would bring the volume down a lot. So the number of sets would come down a lot and they would come down by between 50 and 75%. So you might do, you know, if you were doing three sets of something, I'm gonna have you doing one set of it. If you're doing four sets of it, I'm gonna have you doing one or two sets of it. But I'm gonna have you take those sets to let's say two or three RIR, which is not incredibly difficult, but at the same time hard enough where you're still sending a muscle like retention or muscle building stimulus, you're still working hard enough to get some like real hardworking neurological adaptations or maintain neurological adaptations. It's intense enough to kind of make a difference. But the drop in volume is what we really see as a really big mover of dropping fatigue. And so I really wanna bring that volume down to like absolute bare minimum. And so we, I like to bring the volume down by 50 to 75%. So usually if you're doing four sets, I bring it to two. If you're doing three sets, I bring it to one. Uh, I guess that's 75 to 33%, whatever. Um, and then we keep those sets in that two or three RIR. Now, we can talk about doing that on the front end with your new exercises or on the back end with the exercises that you just did. And so let me just, let's clarify that a little bit. Let's say you've been doing the same program for five weeks. Your deload can be on week six where you take all the stuff you've been doing and you do the volume decrease and the RIR decrease in that sixth week. Now, again, what is the point of doing any of this? Some amount of muscle retention stimulus, which I would say, again, is not a huge deal because I don't think you're gonna lose much muscle. Some amount of neurological adaptation retention, which again, I don't think is a huge deal, but maybe it is. And the truth is from a just a general recovery standpoint, we do know that technically speaking, doing light versions of the workouts that you just finished kind of fucking yourself up on is the best way to, is technically the is technically better than doing nothing for recovery. And the, the way I think of it is, if you've been doing RDLs for five weeks and you've really been you know, targeting those muscles and fatiguing those muscles and putting stress on those joints in the same way for five weeks, the best way to get recovery for those muscles and recovery for those joints is to stimulate blood flow to those exact places by doing the same exact workout, right? By doing the same exact, the best way to recover from RDLs is probably to do lighter RDLs, to stimulate blood flow to the exact right places where you need it. Um, but I would say that that's just not a huge deal. I think if you took the amount of recovery that somebody gets from doing nothing and the amount of recovery somebody gets from doing a really perfectly done default style deload where they, um, you know, decrease the volume and do a light version of their workouts. I think it's so minimal that you might, I want you to decide if the, you know, what's gonna give you the best balance of physiological fatigue dropping and psychological, uh, dropping psychological fatigue. Now, the, the, the important part I wanna talk about this is whether you do it in the front of your mesocycle before you do your new program or at the end of your mesocycle after you've done your program. Um, and so I would call one of those a deload and the other one an intro week, let's say. 
I, at this current moment for my group programming and for most of my online coaching clients, we will use an intro week. Now, intro week means that the first week of your program, so you just finished, let's say, five weeks of hard training, and now you are going to deload, but that deload is going to be with the exercises that you're going to do in your next mesocycle. And so that deload week, the goal of that deload week, I, it's funny because this is a part of a podcast, this is part of the podcast I feel very passionately about. I really, really love at least strongly considering doing intro weeks because for the average client, myself included, to be honest, getting that first week to practice my new exercises, learn the flow of the workout, set up the machines properly. What is the seat height? What is the cable height? What sort of bar am I using? Can I make notes on that, right? Taking form videos, watching the form videos, calibrating the loads that I want to work do for week one, all while spending, you know, 20, 30 minutes in the gym max, to me is an invaluable practical benefit of doing a deal, uh, an intro week. So doing your deload on the front end of your program. You know, if you've never done certain exercises before, or you've never done them the way you think your coach might want you to do them, or you've never used tempo before, or, you know, you want to see what it's like to go from this, you know, you want to check out logistically how this workout works in your gym. It's really nice to do that without without being under the umbrella of also having to work really hard. And so having the chance to learn the new moves, practice them, take form videos, set up the machines, calibrate the loads you might want to use for week one, being able to do that in a very relaxed environment where you're just in a deload week, you're not trying to hashtag crush it, to me will make the bulk of your four to six, four to eight weeks of actual stimulative training more productive. I, You know, I hate the fact that like some not hate, but you know, I've seen all too often where clients will begin a program without the deload week. They begin week one with stimulative training, and you know, it's only by like week two or three where they're actually really figuring things out. And so, if we can kind of make that a bit more of an abridged version by having an intro week, where you know, I know that right now as I'm recording this, Monday, March 28th, today is day one of my group programming mesocycle intro week, and so my group is blowing up right now with form videos. And I love that because I know that all my people in the group right now are taking this week to get their shit together, to get their shit together, to take the form videos for us to work on their techniques so that when they get to a week where it really needs to be stimulative, they're ready to go and they can go ahead and work really hard and they don't have as many questions. So quick summary, this is probably my primary choice as of now, intro week deload with your new moves with very low volume and decent enough intensity to help you gauge week one expectations and actually work on technique with decent intent. And I say that because practicing technique at like five or more RIR isn't necessarily that helpful. Um, you know, we you kind of need some form of practice with technique when it starts to get hard. That's normally where technique breaks down. So, you know, it gives you a chance to practice new moves, learn the flow of the workouts, set up the machines, take form videos, calibrate loads, all while spending 20 to 30 minutes in the gym. I believe for most people, strongly consider is if this is the best balance of physiological, psychological, and practical benefits. Cool. We have three more, and I'm gonna go through them a little bit quicker. We're coming up on an hour. I wanted to do this in an hour, but the next one is a mix of one and two. And so I love this strategy as well. You might really wanna practice the new moves. You might have heard what I just said about intro week, and you're like, man, that sounds like something that would make you know, make me really ease my stress over the new stuff and really help me practically get ready for the mesocycle. 
But you might also have heard me talk about the week off and been like, man, that would really help me from a psychological standpoint. And so maybe what you do is when you look at your new mesocycle, maybe you give yourself or your coach gives you an intro week. Maybe you identify the moves in that next mesocycle that are new for you, that you wanna practice, that you wanna take some form videos of, and you kind of bundle those up into one or two workouts. You know, maybe you just pick and choose kind of a la carte. Okay, I wanna try this new chest supported row. I wanna try the hack squat from day two. I wanna try the, the glute machine from day four. And maybe you bundle those up into two workouts you go in, you do the deload workout, light, you know, light training, low volume, take some form videos, get used to the new movements, all of that stuff. But maybe you do it in two workouts and you take the back end of the week off to chill and do other stuff. And so I do like that because I really highly value the practical benefits of doing the intro week. And I also highly value the psychological benefits of taking time out of the gym. And so if you find that doing a combination of both gives you the best of both worlds, you would not be alone. I would totally get that. Okay, um, next one is changing stimulus. And so this is one that's getting talked about a lot more. Um, it's been popularized or at least, yeah, it's been popularized by the N1 community, which is, you know, Coach Kasim, and that's somebody who I've studied under. I've been certified by N1. And so I have a good understanding of the goals and, and kind of what the point of changing stimulus would be. And I think that it has a time and a place and we're absolutely gonna talk about it. Um, and so let's paint the paint the scene a little bit here. You, let's say you've been doing hypertrophy training for four to eight weeks. And instead of taking a big step from training back hard, like we talked about, or big step back from training hard, like we talked about where, you know, you take an entire week off or you take an entire intro week of low volume. Instead of doing that, you would change to a different style of training, a different stimulus. Um, and you can still continue to train hard and get the benefits of that stimulus. And maybe over the course of time, you can be a little bit more productive. Now, normally for hypertrophy's sake, what this usually would look like would actually be doing some form of metabolic training, maybe like a, like a whole body conditioning phase or a local conditioning phase or some combination of those two because it is a big change from hypertrophy um, and can allow you to continue working hard without stressing the exact same pathways that you have been stressing with hypertrophy. Now, what are the pros? The pros are you're not doing hypertrophy training, and so you accomplish the goal of resensitizing to hypertrophy, which we talked about being one of the main goals of deloading. You're not doing hypertrophy, so your body resensitizes to that stimulus, um, which is one of the main reasons to deload. Another benefit would be you can benefit from the other adaptations and potentially make better use of your time than if you were doing nothing. And so let's say you do a whole body conditioning phase for two weeks as your deload, you might benefit and probably would benefit from the, the, from the adaptations that you would get from a whole body conditioning phase. That might actually help your overall health. Your, it might even help you know potentiate hypertrophy gains because you can recover better, let's say. Um, and so the, another reason to do a change in stimulus is to actually get the adaptations from that stimulus and help you in some way. Um, and usually when we're talking about going from hypertrophy to metabolic, the workouts are shorter in metabolic phases. So you still get some of that psychological benefit of not spending as long time in the gym. Cons. These are personal cons that are, have my bias all over them. So just remember, this is my opinion here. Personally, after four to eight weeks of hard hypertrophy training, I'm not necessarily in a place where I'm looking forward to, quote, still training hard, just doing something else. Um, some part of me is sick of going into the gym. Some part of me is sick of working hard. And that might be me being like a little bitch about it, but you know, maybe I'm not tough enough. 
But I really look forward to this like pulsing of the gas pedal of pushing, pushing really hard, peeling back a little bit, pushing hard and peeling back. And you might say that the metabolic training is taking the gas pedal off a little bit. But, and I, and I think that there are a lot of ways to do this. So I don't think that you go to metabolic training and it needs to be balls to the wall, hard training. But generally speaking, the goal is continue working hard in another stimulus. And there is something about four to eight weeks of consecutive hard hypertrophy training that leaves me in a place where I'm not looking forward to working hard at all, even if it's in something else that I could potentially work hard in. Um, yeah, and that's that might be me. It sounds like, all right, you're just being a little bitch about it. But like, that's how I feel. At the end of a really hard mesocycle, I'm looking forward to doing something not hard. Um, you know, I'm not looking to forward to doing something else. I'm looking forward to taking the, my foot off the gas pedal slightly. Now you might, you know, you might, uh, another con would be you probably spend less net time training for hypertrophy this way, technically, because usually these deloads are like two to four weeks. So you might do four to eight weeks of hypertrophy. And then instead of a traditional, let's say one week deload, you might take two to four weeks of metabolic training and then go back to four to eight weeks of hypertrophy. And if you look at that across the span of the year, you might end up doing less net weeks of hypertrophy. The counter would be that by doing those two to four week metabolic blocks, you get those adaptations that, or the adaptations that you gain doing other stuff would actually help your hypertrophy training later and would probably at worst level out and probably, or the, the, the argument that it would be actually better. And so, yeah, I could see that being a possibility, um, but not if you are in my situation where in order to push into those metabolic phases, you would have to not give in to your psychological fatigue. You would have to really push through psychological fatigue when in reality, maybe the overall quality of your training over the course of a year is better if you're taking some form of a, a step back break. Um, <clears throat> to be fair and to just like make sure that we're, we're painting all sides here, you could use a nuanced, more nuanced approach here and deload with a different stimulus, right? So you could do this. You could do some metabolic training and have that first week be easier by some amount that does bring down fatigue and is not mentally daunting. And so I've used this technique in the past where I will give a client a metabolic deload where we'll do two to four weeks of metabolic training, but the first week of those two to four weeks will be noticeably easier, easier by enough that it does help psychological fatigue. So I think that there are so many ways to do this and there are so many logical ways and there are <clears throat> so many factors that it depends on the individual. And so I don't want you guys to take this as like some one size fits all. I want you to have thought about all these and think, okay, this one feels right to me in this context. <clears throat> and I guess another reminder would be before we wrap things up here. Um, oh, I have one more here. Um, is that you don't only have to use one of these all the time. So I'll use a, a stimulus change in my programming for the group. And if you're, if you're in my group, we will do this at some point and I do it for clients, but perhaps less frequently than the other options, depending on the level of psychological fatigue and other feedback that I'm getting. And so, you know, you don't need to be locked and loaded into one of these strategies. I think actually a, a combination of these is gonna be what's best. I think if you never take a week off ever, I think that that is something you, that this person listening to this, that you listening to this should strongly consider doing at some point. You know, maybe it's not every single time, but occasionally getting uh, out of the gym and doing something else can be really great for psychological fatigue. <clears throat> All righty. Um, summary, you can shift. So summary for this changing stimulus would be you can shift from a hypertrophy stimulus to something else. Usually, you know, two to four weeks of metabolic training in this context, and you can continue to train hard for a different adaptation that will allow you to both resensitize to hypertrophy because you're not doing hypertrophy 
and acquire other adaptations that might help you with hypertrophy later. Um, cool. Cool. And the last one is a frequency deload, which I will give a big shout out to something I first learned and heard from on my podcast with Brian Borstein. Um, I've never done this, but I am certainly playing around with it in my brain. And so, Brian, if you're listening to this, I'm sure we're gonna talk about it afterwards, but um, we're gonna talk about a frequency deload here. So let's say you work out four days out of seven, right? Which is like pretty standard. You're working four days a week and we work on the weekly schedule in most cases. And so you work out four days out of seven. Remember, our goal is to drop fatigue and resensitize so we can have another productive several weeks of training, whether it's a full mesocycle or not, we're gonna talk about this in a second here. So let's say you train four times in seven days, but after four to six weeks, you're starting to feel pretty fatigued and you're starting to have some of those psychological symptoms of needing a break. Maybe you really like the program that you're doing and in my in my context, you would really need to like the program that you're doing to use this option. You would be in you would want to be in a situation where you're like, you know, I know I can keep progressing on the stuff I'm doing, but psychologically, I'm just not in it right now. Um, and so, how do we drop fatigue? We we increase the rest to work ratio, right? I mean, we we just rest. We the goal is to rest more. And so, again, we can accomplish that in a fucking million ways. There's an hour long podcast on this. Um, but a frequency deload would be something like taking your four day training out of seven and maybe turning it into a four day of, of training in 10 to 14 days. And so maybe instead of, you know, let's keep it like, again, within the week schedule, which, you know, can be helpful from a heuristic, just like a way of thinking about it, but we are not technically bound to the weekly schedule. I know that Brian and, and, and myself have experimented with, you know, training on a non seven day schedule. So, you know, sometimes I'll have, um, you know, six workouts out of 12 days or six workouts out of nine or 10 days or something like that. And so that's absolutely something I've experimented with. And I know Brian speaks about, um, you know, that being a bit, little bit freeing for him where he's not feeling super bound by the week. And it does allow for him to have a bit more of a flexible schedule, which is something that I'm going to experiment with the group. We might end up doing a six day program where we're training four days a week or six days out of 14 days or something like that, whatever, or eight days out of 14 days, whatever. Um, <clears throat> Anyway, so you could, for example, take your four workouts in seven days and turn it into, let's say, four workouts in 14 days. So instead of training four days in one week, you might train two days in one week and two days in the next week. Now you've had 10 rest days, right? Where you would have had, let's say, six rest days, right? You Instead of eight workouts and six rest days, you have four workouts and eight rest days. And you wouldn't change anything about your training or your progression or your expectations other than the fact that you're now giving yourself a ton more recovery, right? You wouldn't change anything on your training on the back end of this either. And so when you are done with those 14 days, you would get back into your same program, same progression, nothing changes. Um, and so to me, this is almost like something that you, to me, it's more of something I think about as being something you do in the middle of a long mesocycle, right? You're, it's not, it's almost like not a break in between two mesocycles, it's like, hey, I'm actually gonna do more of like a nine to 12 week mesocycle, but in the middle of this, I'm gonna take this, you know, frequency deload that in my in my, in my brain more so prolongs the mesocycle than it does change to a new mesocycle. Um, so what I love about this approach, what I love about this approach is it makes you kind of quote, do the same mesocycle again. It makes you, it makes the overall variation of your program lower, which I think, Holy shit, a lot of times variation gives us a, a false sense of progress. Since when, we, since when we do something new, we get rapidly better at it due to neurological adaptations. And I think more people on average should keep more things the same from mesocycle to mesocycle than they do. Um, you know, 
and, and this kind of neurological adaptation thing is like when you do something new, you get rapidly better at it because neurological adaptations happen really quickly. And so when you change your whole program, mesocycle to mesocycle, you probably get a really nice ego like boost because when you go from doing back squat to leg press, you get rapidly stronger at leg press because you haven't done it in a while and you're adapting to it neurologically. But it can be almost this false sense of progress because it makes you feel like you're progressing. Like you want to see like real progress, run, run the same, run a very similar program, mesocycle to mesocycle. Keep a lot of the moves the same and actually continue to progress for longer than five weeks. What, what about three mesocycles? What about 15 weeks of doing maybe not exactly the same program, but let's just say on average, more similar stuff than most people do. And so I think I love this approach because it kind of makes you do the same mesocycle again. It makes you run the same shit for longer, which I think on average people should be doing more. Um, yeah, so doing this would be akin to deloading fully and then running the same program again, which I think is a great option. But this might keep you a little bit more plugged in because you are continuing the program during those, let's say, 14 days. You're not taking a full step back and starting back up again. You're, you're, it's almost like you're staying plugged in, but you're putting the car in neutral and just letting it roll for a minute. Um, and so I do think that that can be a nice way of psychologically feeling a little bit more plugged in if your goal, if your plan is to going to run the same thing, uh, the same program. And again, if you, so if you are going to, if your plan is to run the same program again, I think you have to at least consider doing something like this compared to a full deload, even though I think full deloading is great. I think any of these strategies would work great. Um, I suspect the bigger frequency drop here um, or the bigger the frequency drop. So let's say you go from four workouts in seven days to four workouts in 14 days, which is a big, big change. Um, you know, the more fatigue you drop and the more consecutive weeks you'd be able to thrive or survive on the back end. So let's say you did your four workouts in seven days and your frequency deload is four workouts in nine days and you give yourself just an extra two rest days. I don't know if you would survive another five weeks on the plan. I think you, the bigger the step back, the longer the ability to progress on the back end of that. That kind of makes sense to me. Um, this would be a, an approach I might save for someone um, who is advanced enough to, to kind of monitor their biofeedback appropriately or somebody who's not, it's funny, because or somebody who's not advanced and really can adapt to the same stuff for a long time, but maybe does want to take a step back. So I could see it working really well in both contexts. I think most newbies need less variation. Um, you know, a lot of variation is stuff that we do just to keep clients and ourselves like emotionally invested in the program. And so I think that if we can keep, I think physiologically speaking for gains, I think less variation is probably going to be better. What are some of the potential downsides? I think psychological fatigue of a longer mesocycle and doing the same stuff is the biggest downside. I think a lack, like we just said, a lack of variation will always challenge us psychologically. Like we like novelty. There is some form of, um, you know, excitement. Every time I write a new block for the, for the group program, I know that like myself, when I get a new program, I feel this way, but I know there are clients who, who run to the app to open it up to see what we're doing because it's exciting to have something new. It's like Christmas morning. Like I love getting a new program. Um, and so, you know, the lack of variation here might be something that really challenges you psychologically, but we just, you know, I just rambled for 20 minutes on why that might be actually really beneficial physiologically. Um, and so this one definitely strikes me as a quote, if things are going well, but you're really starting to feel beat up, but you're still really enjoying the program and don't have a huge urge to change things up, this might work really well. Cool. Um, okay, we're going to go over nutrition considerations and then I'll wrap it up. So I'm going to keep this one short here. So let's talk about nutrition considerations. 
I'm not gonna go through every kind of deload and how that might differ because the truth is, it doesn't matter a whole lot. It's such a short amount of time that you could adopt a, hey, I'm not gonna change anything during the deload approach and you would do just fine. Like if you're in a deficit, like let's some other thoughts might be like, if you're in a deficit, maybe it's a good time to bring calories up to maintenance to actually help dropping fatigue. Like diet break and deloading can be really nice compounding benefit. Um, but in that same vein, there are some people who would say, okay, that I, I hear you, but what about taking a diet break in the final week of hardest training? And that might be a better time to bring calories up so that I can perform even better in that final week, which I think either of these is a great idea. So I think if you're in a deficit, I think you should at least consider coming up to maintenance during your deload, just so that you can even drop fatigue a little bit more. Um, if you're in a surplus, you could say, well, you know, I'm not stimulating my muscles for hypertrophy this week. So let's not be in a surplus this week because I'm just gonna gain fat. That makes a ton of sense to me. So in generally, if you're in a surplus and you're like, hey, I'm gonna come to maintenance this week, which by the way, twofold, sometimes you're in a surplus and just fucking taking a break from eating so much food can be good. It can be nice on your digestion. It can be kind of enjoyable. I mean, depending on how deep you are in deficit or in a surplus and how high calories are, I've been there many times where like bringing calories down to maintenance, actually enjoyable. Um, and again, that might sound funny to some people, but you know, you end up not enjoying food as much. You end up being full fairly, you know, like all the time um, and just giving your digestion a break and and the work of eating more food uh, can be nice. So on that note though, I would say that like, you're probably still recovering from your workouts for at least 48 to 72 hours. So maybe being in a, like, let's say you're in a surplus, maybe staying in that surplus. And this is a something that Renaissance Periodization discusses, like maybe being in a surplus for that first half of that deload week is a good idea so that you can benefit from the anabolic benefits, <laughs> benefit from the anabolic benefits of being in a surplus while your muscles are still kind of recovering and adapting from workouts from two or three days ago. Um, but I really don't think this being a big, uh, this is a big deal. I, you know, I could see somebody wanting to do this if they're just like, yeah, so I, I think if you're in a surplus, you could come down to maintenance if you feel that it would give you a nice break from eating a lot, um, which I totally understand. You could take half of the second half of the week, like we just talked about, to, to go back to maintenance because you're still adapting for a couple of days. So maybe you stay in your surplus till Wednesday and then you get out of your surplus, go to maintenance for the rest of the week. I think that's totally fine. But again, honestly, guys, you know, just the, the nutrition considerations are extremely minimal. Like you could just say whatever I'm doing when my deload rolls around, I'm gonna keep doing. And you would do just fine. It's one week, it is a small contributor, I think. Um, you could, from your deficit, go to maintenance and drop fatigue. You could go from your surplus down to maintenance because you're not training so stimulatively that week and you might not be benefiting from that surplus. Um, but I don't think either of those scenarios are big needle movers. So just take that into account. Um, if you feel that the consistency of just continuing to do do what you've been doing because you're in a flow state with your, you know, the way you're eating, the what your meals are like, and you don't want to have a lot of this micromanagement, I would respect that and totally agree. If you're at maintenance, this is the big one though. This is the big one. If you are at maintenance, do not decrease calories. You do not, in my opinion, do not decrease calories. You go, oh, I'm not training anymore. I should decrease calories. You don't burn as many calories in your hypertrophy sessions as you think. It's, it's almost the same as a regular rest day. Like you're burning extremely similar calories during your deload week as your training week, which I know is hard to believe, but hypertrophy training doesn't burn that many calories. And so just keep the shit the same and don't micromanage 100 calories lower or anything like that. Like, you know, some people even, 
burn more calories in their deload because maybe they go for more walks in that deload. I have plenty of clients who are like, wow, my steps go up in my deload week because I'm not training and I use that time to go for a walk. Like that person's probably burning more calories. In my opinion, if you're at maintenance, just chill. You're not gonna go into a big surplus because all of a sudden you're missing your 250 calorie hypertrophy session or something. Like just don't stress, just chill. Okay, guys, thanks for making it this far. I'm gonna do a couple final thoughts on deloads here. I made a couple of notes that I just wanna run through and then I'll let you guys get out of here. Number one, when you're coming out of your deload and you're beginning your training, um, which is not something we're gonna break down in detail today, which you might do another pro- uh, another podcast, you might wanna start with slightly less volume and or slightly less intensity than you finished with. You aren't picking up where you left off. Deloading, this balance of deloading and kind of where you should start in your next mesocycle is one step forward or one step back for two steps forward. And so you're not picking up on week one of your mesocycle from where you finished in your last mesocycle. Your your goal is to do more at the start of this mesocycle than you did at the start of last mesocycle. Hopefully that makes sense. Number two, there are a lot of ways to deload as you can tell from the length of this podcast, but they will all accomplish some form of resensitization, resensitization to the target stimulus and a drop of physical and psychological fatigue. Number three, just because there are a lot of ways uh, to do that doesn't mean you need to do all of them at some point, but it doesn't mean you can't. It doesn't mean you need to be locked into one, but it also doesn't mean you need to do all of them. You might find that one of them is your bread and butter that feels awesome, and occasionally you do another one. Like, I don't want the options to give you analysis, you know, by or a paralysis by analysis. Um, I want the options to be like, hey, this one feels good to me most of the time, and occasionally I do another one. For me, you know, I think that the intro week is gonna be the best for most people as a default option, and occasionally a week off, occasionally a mix between a week off and an intro week. And then layered on top of that, maybe once or twice or three times a year, doing some form of stimulus change can be a decent idea. Um, cool. Number four, consider life stressors when you're considering the length of your mesocycle, the intensity, the frequency, and the volume. You know, the amount of training that that I can do with no kids and fitness is my whole life. It might be different than you as a, you know, a mom with four kids, you know, who's, you know, just has a lot more shit and stress on her plate. That might be, you know, I might be able to shove more training into my stress glass of water than you. Number five, if you never need a deload, you are either taking them without knowing it via a long weekend or a vacation or a missed workout, or you're not really training hard enough to make gains anyway, and thus you don't actually need deloads, or the deload will inevitably take you at some point via sickness or an injury or low motivation to train and you just say, fuck it, or again, a, a, a lifestyle deload. Number six, if a week off is arguably an acceptable option, then all of these questions about how much should I reduce sets or how much should I reduce load or whatever gives me an overwhelming feeling of who cares, just don't overdo it. Like I always tell my clients, the only way you fuck up deload week is by going too hard. You can't underdo your deload in my opinion. There's a way bigger risk of you overdoing it than underdoing it. Um, And I would rather people, when in doubt, do less. Um, Again, number seven, last one here. If taking a week off from training gives you a ton of anxiety, it is something that you are scared of, you think something bad is going to happen, it makes you nervous, You, you know, it is the thing that you listen to in this podcast that made you very uncomfortable, I highly recommend that you do it. I highly recommend you move towards that fear you know, you're because the truth is there's no physiological reason for you to be afraid of that. You're not gonna lose muscle. You're not gonna lose real strength. You're not gonna lose anything 
outside of the fear that's in your head about something bad happening, which it won't. And I highly suspect that if everybody took their deload week, scrapped the workouts and went for a walk in nature, I would take that 10 out of 10 times. All right, guys, that's the end of this podcast. That podcast, Jesus, thanks for coming. And I will see you guys in the comments. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.